Hi guys, welcome to Christ Curls and Conversations. We are here with Brittany and Seth McVeigh and they are married and I'm really excited to have um, a married couple on the show because I haven't had one yet and these two are like such real ones. I actually met um, Seth about maybe a year ago virtually. He was um, doing podcasts on his uh, channel, Apollinaring, talking about new age and the deep deception of it. So I did an interview with him and I was like, wow, this is really cool. I get to share my new age story. And then I found Brittany and I was like, wow, like they both are like such a power couple in Christ. So they also had an amazing um, pornography discussion uh, back in April of 2019. And whenever I saw it, I was just like, wow, they would be a perfect, uh, a perfect couple to bring on the show to like talk about this stuff. So thank you so much for being on. I'm so grateful to have you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for you. It's really good to be on. I'm excited for the discussion. Yeah, of course. So I really just want you guys to take it away. Like when did uh, pornography first start in both of your guys' lives? And when did you realize that it was like damaging? I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, So I, the youngest memory I have of um, viewing pornography, I was probably like nine or 10. Um, And I I don't think I really even knew what I was watching at first. Um, And I remember our, we had like cable and so we had like HPO and like all those like crazy channels that like after dark are terrible to have um and I just remember um like seeing those images and seeing that stuff be performed but not even knowing like like what it was really (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it seemed really exciting yeah Um, and it was secretive right it was like I instantly knew that's bad (laughs) that's not like I don't tell my parents about that um, so that I feel like was my earliest memory of pornography. Yeah, I. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I've been reading statistics about when the youngest ages for viewers of porn now, and it's seven. But I feel like it was even like that when we were little kids. And I, I mean, we're not super old, but um, you know, I remember uh, the first thing that oh. And it's funny because I wasn't even, I didn't even view porn the first time. The The first time that it happened for me, <clears throat> or even the mention of something, was um, my friend was talking about finding a stack of his dad's Playboys. And I remember I was like, I, I've never heard of that. Like my dad, you know, at, he never got into, he never had that discussion with me when I was younger. And, and so um, it was just interesting hearing him talk about like, oh, there's pictures of naked girls and they got all this stuff in there and they got jokes and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, that got my curiosity going. So I think that was in like, um, God, that would have been like third grade probably first or second third grade somewhere in there and so I was probably seven eight or nine as well and um that was my first exposure to even hearing that word but then that kind of as a young kid gets your curiosity going and um the first time that I viewed porn was uh it was actually just a naked picture of a girl it wasn't even like you know intercourse or anything like that it was just like I, I think I Googled boobs or something like that and it just like, came up and I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And um, I remember I got, um, one of the signs that I know that I'm uh, a Christian is because even from that young age, I remember feeling sick to my stomach after and my parents explained, like, like I physically got sick and I had to go tell my mom what I did. And she told me that was the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin. And wow. uh, so I know that I'm a Christian because of that, but um, yeah, it, that was the first time that I I viewed um, any sort of like naked woman. And then it just, you know, it progressively got worse as I got older and went into middle school and stuff like that. So. Wow. And, and when you guys first saw it, like, did you know to masturbate or anything like that? Or was it more of just like, whoa, like in your eyes? <laughs> I think for me, it was just more, whoa, like there wasn't any, um, I don't think I got into that and really knew what that was until I got older. 
Yeah, That's same for me. I, I, because my parents didn't really allow like movies or you know things like that uh, to be into the house. We never had cable or anything, so I didn't like. I didn't even know that that word existed until I got into middle school, and um, so with the first time that I viewed it, I was just like, whoa. That, like that's women's parts you know and so yeah I didn't I didn't know to, that to like please yourself to those types of images or lust after them so wow that yeah that I mean that totally makes sense I feel like the first time that I saw it as well it was never like oh I need to masturbate and then it slowly progressed where I was just like wow like I'm feeling something down here and what do I do with this and then I just it just sparked my curiosity to keep going. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, so in terms of your, your guys' marriage, how did that affect you guys? Like, did you get it out before? Was it happening inside your marriage? What happened? So, um, I, it got really bad for me in high school um and then like a little out of high school and what was weird is that during like sex with other people I didn't I didn't know what pleasure it was like I didn't and I'm really thankful that God blessed me with this but it wasn't until Seth and I got married that I really knew what pleasure inside of sex was um and so I almost feel like I kind of still was a virgin when I got married only because of that because I never really I always had sex to get love never to like feel this like erotic pleasure. Um, And so the only time I did feel that pleasure is when I would watch pornography and um, masturbate. And so um, it got really bad for me through high school and right out of high school. And when I came to the Lord, um, I was 20, going to be 21, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was 20, going to be 21. And, um, the minute that I came to the Lord, I had an instant switch. I never again viewed pornography ever again after that. Um, and that doesn't happen for everybody. There are times and there are people where God, um, sanctifies in a process, an ongoing process. And then there are times where God just completely slams a door. Um, and that was the, the process that I personally went through is I came to the Lord, rededicated my life, was raised in church, um, but re- rededicated my life. And I stopped smoking cigarettes. I stopped drinking. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, I stopped drinking. I stopped watching pornography. I, what, I stopped watching R-rated movies. Like I was like instant, different, did a 180. Um, so that was kind of like my experience yeah yeah and um kind of piggybacking off of what i was saying earlier just like you get a start and then it's just like a snowball effect from there because i think that you know the enemy uses those images that you have in your mind and he brings them and he reminds you and throws those arrows or darts as yeah. you know ephesians 6 calls them into your into your mind to remind you of oh man remember what that looked like imagine what it could be like if it was this type of girl or or whatever and so and then especially as you start going through puberty and stuff and your hormones start to change and you do figure out what masturbation is and you begin to um you know wish and desire to be with females or males you know it, it only grew so for me from that point that i i heard about it and then viewed it for the first time um it got it got worse um as as middle school came into to being when um it's kind of funny because i was a chubby kid up until about uh like the summer going into eighth grade and then i just like slimmed out and so the girls started to to actually like look at me at that point and so um i started to like um like the crowd that i hanged out with was starting to change and because of the girls that were finding interest in me and so um with that we started you know kissing and experimenting and that stuff and so it it made me go down this path of you know into the sexual culture that our society um you know propagates and so um at that point you know my parents were still monitoring everything so i wasn't heavy into porn but masturbation was um was huge in my life because i you know i would just use the images of the girls that i saw 
and experimented with at school or whatever. I mean, I remember girls like flashing us when we were in PE and the, in the locker rooms and all this kind of stuff. And so when you got those images in your head, you don't necessarily need porn. Um, uh, and so, um, but when I went into high school and I got my own computer, um, my parents didn't set up any like parental stuff or anything. So I just had access to whatever. And that's really when the addiction to pornography along with masturbation started for me. And um, it's interesting because I never like, um, I remember my dad, you know, kind of, he took me to like a, a conference one year and we like, we kind of talked about it, but for, from what I recall, like it wasn't ever ingrained in me that this is like bad for your spiritual health along with your physical, along with like, it's just not good for you. And so I don't like, I think they tried to get that across, but it like never clicked in my mind for some reason. And so I never understood until um, actually in the marriage, the effects of pornography on an individual and in a relationship. And so, um, you know, my porn viewing uh, was really bad up until I went to um, college and then it kind of dwindled and, you know, I'd only do it every now and then. So when I got into college, it was, um, it, it kind of dwindled because at that point I had, you know, kind of realized that, um, you know, just by reading what Jesus said, you know, if you lust after a woman, just even in your heart, it's like committing adultery. Like, yeah. and so those things started to click with me, but I never like fully grasped it. I never fully got rid of pornography. And so it, I'd go like months without viewing it, but then there'd always be that temptation that would come back or I'd go through a stressful time or or something would happen and I'd view it. And um, so that continued all the way through college. And then once I got out of college, um, uh, you know, I'd met Brittany my senior year and, um, you know, it wasn't, it was probably every like eight months or something like that. And I, you know, I would slip up and uh, then it, you know, it kind of ca carried into our marriage and um, it affected our relationship. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't habitually looking at porn or anything. It would just be every so often, but uh, it got to the point where Brittany finally told me, she's like, you're committing adultery on me and I'm not going to stand for it. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, this is a serious matter. And so she, you know, um, she, she, uh, you know, told me that if you don't stop, I'm going to leave you. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, along with kind of what you said before we got on Brie about the, you know, sex trafficking and the human trafficking part of pornography, mm -hmm. when those things like combined and it finally clicked in my head, I was like, okay, I'm, <laughs> this is, this is the most dangerous thing that I can be doing. Like I need, what are my consequences and I need to weigh them out and do that. And so I would say it's probably been, um, three years since, and, wow. uh, it's just been, uh, so much better for our marriage and our relationship. And, um, it's, it's just a trap and the enemy gets you in it and it's not, um, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not something anybody should mess with. So if you're, if you're stuck in pornography, there is freedom, there is breakthrough and there is deliverance from it. And, um, like Brittany was saying, it's different for everybody. Yeah, and I think that um, that pornography needs to be looked at in three parts. Um, so we are we're flesh, right? So it's physical, um, it's also emotional, and it's also spiritual. And so um, for somebody like that has a really bad addiction, that's like I can't cut it. I just don't know what it is. You have to look at all three parts. Physically, your brain has gotten used to the dopamine kick and release that you get every single time that you look at pornography. Mm -hmm. So pornography literally comes from the devil himself. And there is this like um, magic that his, every time that you're viewing pornography, um, let's just put it this way. God created the sexual union to be a super spiritual thing. Mm. So like where our souls are connected. And so when you do that with another person, your souls become connected. And so on a spiritual level, <coughs> excuse me, um, the enemy is going to attack you 
spiritually, right? So he is going to use his demons and his powers and principalities to tempt you. We call that temptation, right? Emotionally, you've used pornography to maybe be a stress mechanism, maybe to cover up some kind of sexual shame. Maybe that was sexual abuse, molestation, rape, whatever. Um, you've used it as a coping mechanism emotionally. So um, the last one is physically. So in our brains, we have literally become addicted. So um, these neural pathways in our brain have become so deep that you may spiritually and emotionally not want to do it anymore, but your brain is like, hey, wait, what happened to that really good thing we used to do? It made me really happy. Wow. Or you can have maybe physical release and emotional release, but the enemy is still like, hey, you're doing really great things for the kingdom and I'm going to attack you because I know that that's still a weak place. Yes. Um, or you can maybe not be tempted by the devil and not have any physical sensations, but emotionally you're still dealing with some kind of trauma um, yeah. that hasn't been healed. And so I just think that looking at pornography always has to be in a threefold um, process. Have I um, cast down any doors that I've allowed to be open? Mm -hmm. Have I dealt with trauma in my life? And um, am I teaching and rewiring my brain by saying, hey, yeah, you want this dopamine fix, but instead of doing that, I'm going to go for a run. Wow. Instead of doing that, I'm going to go for a cup of coffee with a friend. I'm going to, because we're physical. God's created us that way. There are other ways that we can teach our brains to have dopamine fixes, reading a book or coming up with some kind of new hobby. Um, so that would be my biggest advice for somebody is to always look at it in that threefold. Um, I'm very, very thankful that God gave me that release, yeah. but there are other areas in my life that he didn't do that thing for me. Um, and I've had to walk through and be sanctified through those things. And I'm still not even close to where I need to be in those things. I'm still having issues with those things. And so I just think that it's really important to remember that God gives us his grace, but he also gives us self-discipline and self-control that we have to use. Mm -hmm. And as Seth was saying, you don't understand the effects you have on your marriage by allowing those things. So every time you commit a sin, when you watch pornography, you're opening a door, right? So I would tell Seth, you're opening that door in my home, wow. which allows the enemy to mess with me because you're supposed to be my covering. Wow. That's good. When we have kids at that time, we didn't have kids. I said, when we have kids, same thing. You open those doors, you're opening those, our kids to spiritual warfare. And so when you look at it that way, you can really um, be, you know, convicted and changed. And I remember one of the last times that we talked about the whole pornography thing, I explained to Seth, every single time that you're looking at somebody on the screen, that's somebody's daughter and somebody's son. I love that you just said that. I love it. I love everything that you just said. <laughs> and it's somebody who most of the time, you guys, those people that are in pornography videos are really drugged up. They're usually being sex trafficked. Um, and they're not there to, to fulfill these desires and fantasies. That's not, it's inhumane. Yeah. Is what it is. And so when you start to look at pornography as the terrible thing is it, it, that it is, um, every time you turn on that screen and you can see that that is just really a five-year-old girl um, inside, wow. that becomes really traumatic to think that you're, you're funding that. Whether you're putting money into it or not, you're funding it. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember we did the um, A21 walk and I told Seth, like, you can't do stuff like this and still be viewing pornography. That's good. Yeah. There's no point. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. fighting. It's a, it's like a doubled standard. You're fighting exactly what you're fighting against. Exactly. We can't be for one thing and then against another thing. I did the A21 walk for my first time this year. And I was just like, wow, like I have been struggling my whole life. And, and here I am at this human trafficking walk. And then literally maybe like a month later, I fell back into it and I was like, what the heck? Like, I can't be supporting both of these at all. And anytime that we click on a video, we could be supporting human trafficking. We have no clue at all. Well, and here's the thing, Ray, is that like, we use that word, like we could be, no, you are. Right. You are. Because that video 
has funded human trafficking in some way, shape, or form, no matter what. No matter if you're watching something where um, it was made at home, like between two random people, though I can guarantee you that those two random people have experienced some kind of sexual trauma in their life. Yes. So we are funding that um, every time we do that. And so, um, and here's the thing is that God is, is so gracious to us, right? He has that grace for us. Um, but this is a real problem and this is a real situation. And a lot of the times um, what I tell people is like, most people will um, fall into <coughs> pornography when they're tired, they're bored or they're stressed out. Yeah. Right. Because why? Because during those times, our cortisol levels in our brain are so high that our brain is screaming for a dopamine fix, screaming. Like, I just want to feel that high. I want to feel that release. Um, and that's the reason why we do it. And so that's why I always just go back to we're, we're three parts, right? We have that, that um, soul spirit and our flesh. And so if we remember that. I feel like we've already kind of won half the battle. Mm, that was so good. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, so what's your guys' thoughts on the church and why do you think the church is not sharing about this more publicly? Well, I think it's a taboo topic and, um, I, I feel like it's making a, a it's way into the church. Um, uh, like for example, I know that there are multiple churches in, and the city that we live in that have um, support groups for people who are struggling with pornography or struggling with but sex addiction. Let's talk or, about that for a second. Cause really like that's still secretive. Like, Oh, you need to go to some support group that like meets like a um, yeah. building. I, I think the biggest issue that the church is having is that they feel like when we stand up in the pulpit, we need to only talk about a, a, B, C, X, Y, Z. And outside of that, it can't be touched because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to like not want to come to our church anymore because I can look at our church and we have an incredible pastor, an incredible teacher um, that shepherds us well. I think I've heard pornography come from his pulpit once since we've been, been going to church there. Mm -hmm. wow. And so it's like, why? Why do we feel like we have to keep it in a support group? And I'm not saying support groups are bad. I think that those are- that's no, but it, it needs to be talked about a lot more. And going through series of like sexual sin. Why don't we talk about, you know, um, molestation and rape and stuff that happens inside of our churches? Like why, why? Why don't we talk about that? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, think, I think maybe a lot of the churches are um are, are giving way for those ministries that are dedicated to that and so like there's you know for example like if they bring in christine kane or they bring in nick mckinley with the liver fund or they bring in some you know to someone who's like has the actual knowledge to talk about it mm -hmm. um but i think along with most of these topics i mean how many preachers do you hear talking about the new age mm -hmm. how many preachers right. do you hear talking about occult sex magic or mm -hmm. the occult in general like exactly. i think it's just a lack of it's just a lack it's ignorance is what it is it's a lack of knowledge because and that's why that's why the church falls behind because they're still like talking to you on sunday morning about like treating your brother with love and it's like yeah okay that's great and it is important but like, what about the everyday things? Like, hey, I'm married to somebody who has a heroin addiction. Exactly. Like, or hey, I'm, I'm married to somebody who doesn't stop cheating on me. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, I'm single and I can't stop sleeping around. Like, that's the reality. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I probably am mean to the cash register when I'm having a bad day, the lady at the cash register. But I mean, more than anything, we need to be talking about real topics. Yeah. Like- for instance, I'm, you know, addicted to porn, not me personally, but you yeah. know, like that, those are real topics that I feel like don't get addressed in the church. So nobody gets out of their sin. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I was reading a statistic the other day that literally said that only 10% of churches in America even have a group where people can go to, to talk about pornography. And most of those are only dedicated to men. 
And this is a women issue too. And I'm just like, hey, yeah. like women need this as well. It's not just for men. We're all battling this. The world is getting a lot darker and a lot more sexual. So how do we all go to war with this? Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's interesting that you bring up um, the, the, you know, the fact that, um, that there's a lot of uh, people who are feeling like the church isn't addressing their issue. And one of the reasons why I think some of these, um, these preachers that we maybe not be big fans of um, are, are so big in attendance is because they offer, um, they offer those feel good messages that people are yearning for because their lives are so messed up because they're going through the divorce or because they're married to someone who has a drug addiction like they need to be able to hear that you have the power and 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 the the will to to take up what's yours and if you you know if you if you pray hard enough or you just have enough faith like this is drastically going to change your mind i don't think that some of those pastors are necessarily being uh, like that. They're being like that for a reason because they want to offer these people hope. And it's interesting because I had my outlook changed on some of those pastors by talking to a guy uh, who's an associate pastor here at the largest uh, Spanish mega church. And um, he has radically changed how I view those because he actually has been in those places, seen those people, what they're going through, whether they have a porn addiction, whether they have a sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And these preachers are offering them hope filled messages that help them get through the day. Yeah, they may not be the most theologically based, but they're giving these people hope. They're giving these people something to believe in. And so, um, I, I think that's what the church is missing. We're missing, um, the, we're missing ha, uh, the um, spreading the the message that Jesus has the power to to work in whatever situation you have, but also offer you hope and get you through this. Yeah, um, and that's the thing is that a lot of people will come to church and they'll hear like, "Jesus is enough. He's enough for you, and He is enough." But then they don't, they're not given the tools on like how to walk that out. They just, so what happens is they get saved and they don't have that overnight change like I did, right? Because that's like a 5% thing. So they're part of the nine, 95% who don't have that overnight change. And then they look at it and they're like, I guess Jesus doesn't really work. And I feel like it's a, it's a ploy of the enemy. Um, and not that these, these preachers are, are, you know, working for Satan. I just think that um, the enemies put this guard on their eyes that they're not seeing that, that um, it's hindering people. And so they're preaching this amazing grace and that God um, is hope and that Jesus can fix the situation. And they come to Christ. They're like totally surrendered. They're like, yes, amen. Um, but then that thing doesn't change. And they're like, oh, I guess God isn't real. Yeah. I guess this doesn't really work. And then they're finding hope other places because they're not given the necessary tools to look at that three part. Hey, yeah, you're a spirit, but you're a soul and, and, and a body as well. And so God, Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, he took care of that soul part, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're able to go to heaven now. We have that, that restored relationship. But unfortunately, we still live in a fallen world. So our flesh and our soul are being sanctified until the return of Christ. And they're not given those tools. And I think that it, because personally, even in my own walk, like I was talking about with those things that I haven't seen full deliverance from, um, I came to a point where I was like, yeah, this is malarkey. Like, I don't think this Jesus thing is right. Or maybe I'm just not part of the elect. <laughs> and oh, <wow>. I'm not, <laughs> wow. you know, no, but seriously, those were thoughts that went through my head. Like, yeah, chosen because Jesus hasn't taken away this stuff for me. Um, and so, but what I've seen through that is that if I didn't have those things, I wouldn't rely on Jesus to sanctify me every day. Mm. And so I just think that when we tell these people, Hey, yeah, you know what? You may have come to Christ. You may still be dealing with addiction to pornography. Let's put you here and let's get you under some discipleship and let's show you and be preaching from the pulpit that you're not alone, yes. that there are other people going through this. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives you hope and that gives you a new reality of who Jesus is and who his people are and how, um, you know, we are imperfect and how he's going to sanctify us. And it's just a whole new realm of um, God's love and his grace. Yeah. yeah I think it, it, 
piggybacking off of that, it's, um, I think the reason that people get, you know, kind of quit is because they're looking for some mystical, um, you know, fix to their problem. Like they're expecting God to just mystically come in and grab their problem out of their life and it just be gone forever. Mm -hmm. And with that, I mean, yeah, the whole sanctification process goes out the door. Um, there's no accountability on your part to seek holiness and, and, and walk in uprightness. Uh, because if it's just taken from you, then it's just easy. You know, the Christian life is easy. And, and so I think uh, the Christians in the church and mainstream today have just gotten this idea um, that all our problems are mystically taken away mm -hmm. when we come become a Christian and it's going to be your best life now. And, and yeah, that's true to a certain extent, but you're still going to have hardship and you're still going to have trials. You're still going to have issues exactly. that you have to go with, yeah. uh, go through life with and deal with because we live in a fallen world. This yeah. isn't, you know, this isn't heaven. <laughs> this isn't the eternal state. Um, yeah. So uh, I just, yeah, I think and, and that's even the same when you're talking about new age. I mean, when, when a lot of people that I've interviewed that have come out of the new age or whatever, they're still looking for a mystical experience from God to show them who he is and how powerful he is. When he's given us his word, he's revealed himself in scripture. He's revealed himself um, to us plainly and given us a message in the Holy Scripture. And so um, it, it, we need to turn back to the Word of God and find our foundation in that and a personal relationship with Jesus by seeking Him through prayer and through fasting and through reading. Wow. Yes, exactly. I love all of that. Yeah, for me, New Age and tarot cards and Reiki and all that, I was delivered like immediately pornography has been the biggest thing in my process that I've had to like, be like, Lord, like, please take this away. Like, I need your help. Like I'm crying out to him about it. But like I was telling you guys, I'm three years into my journey with Christ and it's just now getting out of my life. And so it is a process and it's not, it doesn't happen for everybody overnight. Like maybe something. Here's the thing about that though, Brie, had that been an overnight process for you, you wouldn't be as passionate as you are about starting this and bringing people out of it and giving them awareness because I think about it, I don't really have the passion to, I mean, I'll, I'll speak on it. I'll tell you exactly my story and how God was great and how he delivered me, but I don't really have a passion to like start a channel and like do all these great things that you're going to do for this ministry, um, whereas dealing with anxiety and um, depression and panic attacks, that's been something that's been like a journey that I've shared with people and that I really speak on and I try to like show people that they're not alone. So had, had God sanctified me immediately overnight in that area, I wouldn't be speaking on those things. And I think that God does have a plan and he does restore and um, his timing is always perfect for when he wants to take those things out of our lives. Amen. That is so good. And honestly, I feel like that's like new age was the big thing in my life before, but I don't speak on that as often because it was completely out of my life. And pornography is just the thing that kept on going. And I was like, wow, is this the thing that I'm supposed to speak out about? <laughs> so it, I'm really happy that it didn't come out of my life yet until this point. And now through these amazing testimonies that I've been receiving from everybody else, like Christ speaking through you guys, I'm just like, wow, like this is helping me so much just stay in my word and realize there's so many people going through this that are battling it, but we are free in Christ and we don't have to continue going back to our vomit at all. Mm -hmm. Man, I'm, I'm just really happy that you guys are sharing everything about this. Um, so Brittany, I'm not exactly sure if you remember, but you spoke about the three second rule. Uh, would you be able to share a little bit about that if you remember? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so we're talking about, we have, our brains have three seconds to make a decision, right? Yes. So, um, we, we, um, our brains are beautiful. Like God has created just this magnificent landscape and he's given us this area of safety that's called the three second rule. So anything that you go through, whether it's like 
relationship turmoil or um, you really want to smoke a cigarette or you want to get high or you want to have a drink and you're a recovery alcoholic, you have three seconds to make a decision. And so in that span of three seconds, God has given us this ability to actually stand outside of ourselves. And I'm not talking about like having some out of body um, experience. It's not that at all. It's literally the time that your brain has taken in information and is about to have an output. And so here we are, we're at home, we've had a really stressful day at work, we're alone, and we get this buzz of information, hey, you should look at pornography. Yeah. You literally have three seconds to either shoot down that arrow and say, nope, I'm a changed person, I'm not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. And you make a decision to do something else, or in that three seconds, you don't stand outside of yourself to look at your thoughts and you fall, you fall way into, into your temptation. Mm -hmm. And so um, that helps with anything, right? That three seconds that you make the decision is literally what um, Abraham says, uh, is it in Deuteronomy maybe? Or Exodus talks about like, here's before you, right? Life or death. Mm -hmm. What book is that? Not sure. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's Deuteronomy. It's somewhere in the New Testament. And he talks about like, on this day, I've set before you life or death. Like you have the opportunity to make the decision. That is literally the three seconds that you're sitting in that waiting room. Okay. We'll call it the waiting room. You can either choose life or you can choose death. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is um, when you choose life, you're making a new narrow pathway. When you choose death, it's almost like you're putting that, those tires in the same path and nothing's ever going to change if you keep going through that same path, right? It's just like the way when we're in the mountains, if you guys have ever seen, um, it snowed here the other day in Albuquerque, which it never really does. Um, but it's funny because I asked Seth, hey, how are the roads? He's like, oh, it was fine because people had already been driving through it. Well, when people drive through the same area of snow, you have a pathway, right? There's like a way to go through. The new terrain is hard, right? It's hard to go off path and create a new path when you're, when you're first starting. It doesn't feel as fun. It doesn't feel as life-giving. Um, but when you've created that new pathway, when you come to that waiting room again of, hey, I'm stressed out. I had a long day at work. I haven't slept. Mm -hmm. I, you should watch porn. Mm -hmm. your brain is going to want to go on that new path because you've been choosing that life. Every time you got in the waiting room, you chose life every time. And there may be a time you choose death, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you've messed up your life path. Wow. You just next time choose life, choose life and choose life. The more that you choose life in that waiting room of the three seconds, the deeper that those narrow pathways are going to build and the easier it's going to be. So good, so good. Yeah, that applies to every area of life because that's even for like, uh, you know, someone that struggles with anger or mm -hmm. someone that struggles with um, rage or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just, you have that, that split amount of time to, yep. okay, am I gonna, just for instance, me, I, I have a tendency to raise my voice when I get irritated or frustrated. And so in that amount of time, am I gonna raise my voice? Or am I going to just talk normal and have a civil conversation? Mm. And uh, I think in, in, I mean, God's told us, I mean, take every thought captive. So that, that means that we have the ability to do it. But mm. that also means that not every thought that comes into your head is from yourself, from God. It could be from somewhere, somewhere else. Mm. And um, so we just need to be aware of the thoughts that are coming in. Take captive of them in that three seconds. Yeah and decide what we're going to do, think through the consequences and take, and just <clears throat> make the best decision, that life decision that's going to, going to lead to a, a deeper relationship, either with your spouse or with God or with whoever. Amen. Amen. So uh, what would you guys say to any married couples that are listening, that are actually struggling with a porn addiction right now, either the wife or the husband, what would you guys say to them? Um, my biggest thing would be one, you guys need to get individual counseling, biblical counseling, 
um, to really explore those three areas that we talked about, the, the mind, body, and, and um, spirit, we really need to figure out like, where is the strong cold? Um, so I think that that's super important. I think going to counseling together to figure out, I think it would be dependent upon, do you both have a pornography issue? Is it one or the other? Um, here's the thing. God does say in his word that merely looking at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery, right? Mm -hmm. When my husband is masturbating to another woman, he is having sexual relations with that woman. My husband is cheating on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that that immediately says I'm walking out the door. I'm getting a divorce by, I do think it says, this is the boundary. I will no longer tolerate this. And whether it be a man or a woman, I'll no longer tolerate this. You're committing adultery. Here are the consequences. Either you walk away and you save your family or I'm going to leave. Wow. Either you get help or I'm going to leave. Mm. It's as simple as that. Um, same thing when somebody has a drug addiction or is abusive. I don't think that anybody should stay in a, a relationship where they or their family or their children are at risk of being harmed. Mm -hmm. Never, ever. Yeah. Um, I, I think boundaries are so important in relationships that they have to be in place. So to me, if you're somebody who is married to somebody who's having an issue, there has to be a boundary. Place the boundary. Hey, listen, either you're going to go to counseling and you're going to go to the support group and we're going to talk to our pastors and we're going to get through this together or I'm leaving and I'm taking the kids. Wow. Um, if you're both struggling, I think that one of you is going to have to decide to be the stronger partner and decide, hey, we both need to go get help. Mm. Wow. Um, that would be, I think the biggest thing for me is just, well, yeah. Sorry. And I, I think radical issues take radical, uh, action. And, um, you know, another thing that I would say is, um, you can't, nothing's going to help unless you want to get help. Yeah. Um, just like a, an alcoholic or a drug addict, like nothing can make them change except them. Mm -hmm. And so you can't drag your spouse to counseling no. if they don't want to go, it's not going to be effective. No. Um, at, at that point, that's why I think like saying like, I'm going to leave, um, puts the seriousness of the, the issue, um, in front of the person who's struggling because, until they see that, um, until they see that the consequences is a dramatic life change, um, it, it may not even affect them. And so, um, but it is a serious issue. It's super serious. And if you are struggling with this, if, you, if you're a couple that's going through this, you're not alone. You need help. And it's okay to go to counseling. In fact, Stephen Bancars, Melissa, and I just did a podcast talking about counseling and that is another taboo subject in the church it's like we're scared to admit we have problems and we right. can't admit we need to go to counseling we can't say anything about counseling. go to counseling it's freaking helpful it, mm -hmm. it lets you talk to someone about these issues helps you think out loud it helps you internalize things and it helps you get an unbiased third party third party opinion that's not um, trying to deceive you they're not trying to manipulate you they're just telling you what they observe and what they think and it, so it's good it's good to go get counseling and um, don't um, don't let the enemy win I mean fight for your marriage fight for your relationship fight for purity fight for holiness yeah. it's important to do that I mean there's a reason Peter tells us to live holy. There's a reason God told the Israelites to be holy as he is holy. It's because we, our prayers are hindered if we have sin in our life. And so um, we need to deal with these issues and we can't expect God to just miraculously take them out all the time. There has to be work on our part and we need to put in the work, whatever it takes. Wow. Yes. Thank you. Um, so in terms of your guys' marriage now, what are like some of the blessings that you guys have seen since getting that out of your life? Well, uh, we always talk about just intimacy. I mean, uh, it's created deeper intimacy because um, one, we're able to have a pure marriage bed. Uh, 
two, we're able to share our story with people and grow and teach people about this, younger couples, uh, older couples, people that are just struggling in general. Um, three, it's, um, uh, I think both of our relationships with the Lord have grown deeper because um, now she's able to kind of come more under my covering because she she knows that I can withstand the temptation yeah. and uh, not give in. And, um, you know, um, there's this trust that's built in the relationship. I mean, so ultimately it's intimacy that's grown in your marriage. And every, I, I tell Steven this all the time, everything that we do in our relationship should be done to grow intimacy and um, intimacy with each other and intimacy with Christ. So when you have that three seconds, is this going to grow me more intimate with my wife or is this going to drive a wedge between us? Is this going to grow me more intimate in my relationship with Jesus or is this going to draw me away from him? And we have to think about those consequences. Um, so, you know, since we, um, you know, Brittany never really struggled with this, like she said, but since I've gotten it out and I've nixed it, um, it's, um, I just noted all good things. I mean, um, it's, there's still issues. I mean, God, we're, we're, uh, fallen sinful human beings. And so just because we don't have that particular issue doesn't mean that there aren't others. Uh, but that one is a huge one, particularly since, you know, Paul talks about it so much in the new Testament, Jesus spends quite a bit of time on it as well. It's because it's, it's an issue that, that is so deep in our heart. That's the reason why all these cults and these weird occultic place you know groups have sex magic and all this stuff because it's like there's there's power in it and there's um i mean the lord made it that way for a reason so and then people just abuse it so uh yeah sorry i'm ranting now <laughs> no 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 i love it i love it um Brittany, i wanted to ask you this before you you also talked about uh being a covering for your husband when he is going through that can you speak a bit about that as well to the wives yeah. out there dealing with this? Absolutely. So um, when I was going through this with Seth, um, I had a really awesome mentor who uh, told me, I was like, so done. I was like, I'm leaving Seth. I'm not doing it anymore. Like he looked at pornography again and I, I our trust is broken and I just feel like we're never going to regain it. And um I remember specifically, she told me that the story of um, Moses when he was drunk and naked and his son, Noah, I mean, Noah, sorry, um, that's what I meant, Noah, <laughs> um, and his son um, saw him in his nakedness and went and told everybody and then the other, I mean, they debate about like what that meant exactly um, back then, but she talked about how the other son, he, he, um, came with a covering and he went backwards and covered his father in the midst of his sin. Mm -hmm. And so what she was telling me is, um, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to place the boundary. It's okay to have all those things. Um, but it is not okay to go and slander my husband to other people, um, including my family, my friends. Um, she said, I should be the only person an accountability partner should be the only person that hears about your, your, um, anger or your stress towards him and then and God and that's it and you drop it and um and I was so frustrated at her I'm like no like what I get to he gets to just sin and I just keep that a secret and she said no um what you're doing is you're covering your husband's sin and um there's like beauty in that and God God can bless you through that um and it's not that you cover it up to say it's okay because it still requires the boundary. It's just being gracious to her husband and knowing that he, he is sinful because we live in a fallen world and understanding that and giving him grace. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so we are at the end and I want to know uh, just one nugget from each of you to people that are actually struggling with this. Um, well, if you're a Christian, uh, don't give up on the Lord. I know I've been in your shoes. It's frustrating. Um, because I know deep down, I think 
I, I mean, when I was in the midst of it, I wanted nothing more than just to be free of it. And then there's that just, you know, that 10 seconds of temptation where it's just like the, the hardest decision in the world. And, um, but don't give up and God hasn't given up on you. Um, he forgives you. If you've asked for forgiveness, don't let the enemy lie to you. And, um, uh, if you're married, uh, again, seek counseling, seek help, um, hold accountability with your wife or husband and with an accountability partner that you can tell that you can be open and vulnerable with. And something that Bree and, and we were talking about before we got on was, uh, vulnerability is important. Um, if you hide stuff, if you only tell partial truths to your accountability partner, it's useless. You need to be open and vulnerable with that person and share motivation and, and, you know, what exactly led up to the, like, you need to be completely honest. And so I think having an accountability partner is, is super helpful in both married and unmarried circumstances. Yeah. And for me, I think the biggest nugget of truth would just be, um, that it's a process and a journey and that God has given you the grace and that he loves you and cares about you and whatever, um, has happened that brought you to this addiction or has brought you into this place. Um, God wants to heal that. He wants to really bring freedom, um, to that. And sometimes that's really scary. Sometimes looking back at those things is a really, really scary place to, um, to go. But God is a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you. And he'll always, um, he'll always like allow you your process too. And so that would be my biggest tip is just to, just to brace the journey to make the necessary steps. Um, when the Israelites were passing through the Red Sea, um, we always like to say that verse like, be still and know that I am God. Um, but the actual translation of that, be still and know that I am God, the verse that continues, it requires action. It's actually an action step. So being still and knowing that he is God yet walking through the Red Sea, it's like a two part. We're going to believe and trust. We're going to have that, that like vertical transformation, but we're also going to walk horizontally and we're going to show and we're going to allow our faith to be seen, right? We're going to allow our faith to be put into works. And so that would be the biggest thing is equally trusting that God is good enough to bring you through and also doing the necessary work. Amen. Thank you guys so much. If anybody has any questions or comments, uh, where can they find you both? Um, well, you can find me on Instagram at Britt.McVay um, or Facebook. I'm on both, so you can do Brittany McVeigh on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on Instagram at uh, Seth.McVay and also Apollinearing and uh, Facebook as well, Seth McVay. So, yeah, we're, we're always open to talk to people about mm -hmm. whatever. So um, feel free to, to say hi. Um, yeah. We love meeting new people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And I pray that everybody listening or watching received so much encouragement through their testimony. Um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for being on. I really appreciate you guys as a married couple coming out and speaking about this because this is huge that many people aren't talking about. So thank you so much. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks, Bree. It's been, it's been a real joy and honor.